And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bible to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. As I was going through high school, all of the older students would warn us about one class, and that class was um, senior English with a teacher by the name of Mr. Broadhead. And they would say things like, he's serious, that he means business, you know, it's a very difficult class. And so I remember, even though that was many years ago, the first day of senior English, and his reputation so preceded him, I remember sitting in class with a room full of seniors. He was not in there yet. I think he liked to make an appearance the first day. And we were sitting there in silence. He, he already demanded that kind of respect just from things we had heard about him. And so he walks in, and, and I, I still remember him kind of laying down the law that first day and saying, you know, uh, you're going to listen, and I'm going to teach. But the way he kind of convinced us, not only was, did he have the authority, and not only did he have just demanded respect, he made this statement. He said, if you will listen, and if you'll let me teach you, when you get to college, your college English class will be a breeze. And so he began to teach us through the year, and he cared about the students. He demanded respect. He, he had authority in the classroom, and he was an excellent teacher. He knew the material. He shared it in an engaging way with the students. And he was right. I remember going to my first year of junior college, English Comp 1, and being like, this is easier than senior English was. He did his job. He was a great teacher, and I still remember him to this day for that. And so this morning, our sermon from John 7 is entitled, The Authoritative Teaching of Christ. And I think you would agree with me, if you read, if you read through the Gospels, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read about and where Jesus teaches, you can say a few things. First, he cared about the people he was teaching. He cared, right? He loved them. He loved people, wanted to present the truth. I think you can also say that he knew the material. He knew the, he knew the material, and he presented it in an engaging way. And I think you can also say he was a man who, as he taught, demanded uh, respect and authority because of who he was and what he was saying. And we're going to see that in our text today. And I was reading this week, even some people who are not Christians, some scholars who are non-Christian scholars who've studied the teachings of Jesus, they'll still say things like this. This is a direct quote from a non-Christian. He said, Jesus Christ is unparalleled as a teacher in this world. Even non-Christians know as they read the teachings of Christ, he was a master teacher. How much more for us who love Christ and love his word, how much more should we appreciate his teachings. We should appreciate it. And I hope we'll appreciate it this morning. And, and, and though, you know, though we don't get to sit at his feet like the disciples or the crowds here in John 7, we're able to see in his holy word the truth. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Instead of me reading the whole text, I'm just going to go one or two verses at a time. And so I hope you'll, you'll watch me and then we'll turn our attention back and forth to the word as we walk through it. Um, so verse 14, if you're there, say word. 
Y'all got to wake up. If you're there, say word. There you go. Verse 14, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Well, last week we discussed that this was during the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, which was an annual Jewish uh, celebration or feast that remembered what God had done after the Exodus for his people. And so there are lots of people who travel. The Jews were commanded to travel there to Jerusalem for this this service. And so I imagine the town, have you ever gone shopping like the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, the day 23rd of December, something like that, and the towns become full of people? It's like craziness. I'm a last minute shopper. It always happens to me. I'm like, why did I do this? I can imagine Jerusalem being like that, just people everywhere. And so in the middle of this eight day feast, Jesus stands up in the temple and he begins to, to teach them. But look at verse 15. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters? Which, I know what you're thinking, his ABCs? <laughs> no, that's not what this is talking about. It, letters here means learn doctrine, teaching. How does he know theology? How does he know the truth? Having never been learned. Their question is, he stands and he teaches, and he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He sounds like he's speaking uh, great truth, yet we know this man did not go to any of our seminaries. He did not learn from our uh, teachers. How is he so, how does he sound so educated? How does he sound so learned, is what they're asking here, what they're saying here. And I'm reminded about uh, another place where Jesus was, what, 12 years old, and he went to the temple and he taught, and he astonished the scholars. I guess these people didn't know that Jesus knew his stuff, all right? Verse 16. So Jesus answers them. He answers and says, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. You know, the, it's like to me the people are standing there, these crowds are watching Jesus, and they're saying, Does this guy really have the right credentials to be standing up and teaching us? And I think that's, that's a fair question because... Let's, let's talk about our church. We would not let just anybody come in and get up here and teach, right? We would not let that happen. You have to be someone who we trust, you know the Word, and you present the Word of God. And that's why you don't really see a lot of different people in this particular pulpit. It's because we want to make sure that anybody here is, is preaching the truth that we agree with. And so, and so Jesus may not have had the earthly credentials they were looking for, but verse 16, he clearly says, I have the right credentials. My teaching is not my own. It comes from God, and so Jesus is saying here, I come from the Father, I come from God, and my teaching is God sent. And so, you should listen to what I'm saying, is what Jesus is saying here. You should listen. Verse 17, he says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Just look at that verse again. Just look at that. Such truth here, and, and the questions are, how can we know if Jesus is true? Like, why should these crowds listen? Why should they believe him? Why should they trust him? And why, how do they know if his message is actually from God? There in verse 17. How can they know? And that leads us to our first of five key points today. The first point is this. Obeying God's will leads to an understanding of God's truth. Obeying God's will leads to an understanding of God's truth. And I think that's an interesting point because 
I think many of us might think it's the other way around. That first I would know God's truth, and then I would obey God's will. But he says, if any man desires to do God's will, then he shall know what is the truth. I think we can see this in our own lives. If you're here and you're a Christian, I think you can see that if you follow Jesus, as you go through that spiritual journey, you begin to see more truth about Christ, right? The truth has always been there about Christ, but as we grow in wisdom and understanding, we, we learn more. Have you ever read a verse of Scripture that you've read a hundred times, and all of a sudden a light goes on, a light bulb, oh, and you gain some truth from it that's been there the whole time? The Word didn't change, did it? You did. You grew in, in wisdom and knowledge, and guess what? Every one of us, no matter our age, can still have that happen to us. As we study, the Holy Spirit can give us that, those light bulb moments. I love those moments. Can I be honest? Sometimes as the preacher, I'll take a verse or a chapter or section to study, and I struggle to come up with notes or thoughts. And there are times, there's been times in my life where I'll take a text, and I'll start typing out my sermon notes, and within minutes, I'll have five pages typed out. I'm like, what just happened? But it's just... Sometimes God just gives you the truth through his word to, to see more clearly. Do you see the word clearly? Are you able, as Jesus challenged these people to do, to have this desire to do the will of God that you might better know more of God? Listen to Psalm 25.9. We read this in our scripture reading earlier. In Psalm 25.9, it says this, God teaches the humble his ways. The most, most wisest saints, the most wise saints in history have had one thing in common, and that is humility. Humility. If we're going to know more of God and more of His ways, we must be humble, we must be teachable. In church, and I'm thankful that in our church, I think I would say this about everybody I've talked to for the most part, uh, that I've had much conversation with, is that our people here are teachable. We say, we all, I think, agree, I don't know it all. And I can learn more and more and more about Christ. I think we all agree with that. But I'll be honest with you, I've been in many churches over the years and met many Christians in churches who would not fall in that category. I've met many Christians who think they know it all or who think they're too, they're too prideful to grow or unwilling to learn. I've told you, I, I know I told you, uh, years ago that I met a deacon in a church who said, I pretty much know all I need to know about the Bible right now. And he was in his 40s. He was a deacon at his church. I pretty much know all I need to know right now. There's not much need for me to go any deeper, was the connotation there. Look, if we're going to do what 17 says, to obey the will that we might know the doctrine and know who Christ is better, we need humility. And I want to challenge us, church, not to have humility for the sake of just understanding, but listen to Proverbs 3.32. It says, For devious, the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. Shouldn't our goal be to be close with God? Like, you know, as those of you here are spouses, right, your goal should be to be closer and closer with your spouse, and I know sometimes that's difficult, but that's the goal, right? To join in unity, but as a child of God, our goal should be closeness with God. And we do that through the prayer and through 
the Word and through the church. What a privilege to pursue that relationship with Him. But if we are not humble, if we're not open and aware of truth that can be learned and obedience to the Word, then we cut ourselves off from what God wants us to, to know. And Jesus says here in verse 17, you should recognize, recognize that my authority, and you will recognize it if you desire to do my will. Verse 18, he continues and says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. One of my pet peeves, um, and I don't know if you guys would agree with this or not, one of my pet peeves are preachers who talk about themselves too much. And they can do this in various ways. They can brag about how big their church is. We had 250 people at church last week, or whatever. Whatever the number is, preachers, it's kind of like fishermen. The fish starts this big and it gets this big. Preachers do the same thing. Or who just brag about their own ministry too much. Does that make sense? Any man of God who spends more time bragging about their own ministry than, what, than Christ, you should be wary of that person. And we could all be susceptible to this because we want ourselves maybe to, to look good. But the point of verse 18, Jesus says there, if, if I'm reading this correctly, that the person who seeks his own glory is not speaking on behalf of the Father. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him, which is the Father, that one is true. And if anyone could have been a teacher on this earth who pointed to himself, it could have been Christ, correct? Right? It could have been Christ, but I found some other passages. Uh, in John 5, he said, I do not receive glory from people. Over in John 8, verse 50, he said, I'm not seeking my glory. And so Christ exalted the Father. And that leads me to our second key point today. That is this, a self-seeking spirit is opposed to the ways of Christ. A self-seeking spirit is opposed to the ways of Christ. And it's really hard to imagine, isn't it, that anyone who's been to the cross, anyone who's seen their sin for what it is and surrendered their life to Christ, it's hard to believe that those kind of people would be self-seeking and self-exalting. But yet we are. We are. We, sometimes we are. And again, some of the most people that are like this the most, I found sometimes, are often Christians who think we're better than other people sometimes. Do we do that sometimes? And, and, and that's the same people that Jesus had a trouble with, right? These Pharisees who think they're better than other people because of their religion or whatever. Making it about themselves. Looking at their accomplishments, their achievements. Church, I want us to brag on our church. I want us to brag on the things that we see God doing in our church. But more than anything else, we need to brag on Christ and who He is and boast in Him. And so if there's any self-exalting ways in us this morning, let us repent and let us say with John chapter 3, I must decrease, but He must increase. If you're with me, find verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Wow, that's a, that's a zinger right there. <laughs> Moses gave you the law, none of you are keeping it. Why go ye about to kill me? 
So he just calls them out. Jesus calls, as, as he stands there and teaches these crowds, he's like, you're, breaking, you're lawbreakers. You say you hold to Moses' law, but, but you're breaking the law. Who are you to try to kill me for breaking the law when you're doing the same thing? You're breaking the law. Of course, Jesus never broke it, but they thought he did. Look back at chapter 7, verse 1. We talked about this last week. Jesus, he hesitated to go to Judea because why? He knew people were seeking to kill him. And so we come to verse 19, and they're like, you know, we're, gonna, we're not, we're not going to kill you, know, whatever. We're not going to kill you. The, these people are denying the hostile intentions that they had. They had intent, intent to hurt him. Some of them did, and they're denying it. And Jesus says, no, you are lawbreakers. Remember last week when I told you that they could have dealt with Jesus if he was just a miracle worker or a nice teacher, but Jesus called out sin, and that really offended uh, these people. Verse 20, how did they respond? Here's what they did. They, they answered and said, you have a devil or a demon who goeth about to kill thee. So they didn't like Jesus' rebuke, and so they defaulted to saying this, he's possessed by a demon. And I found John 8, 52, John 10, 20 as two other instances where they didn't like what Jesus said and they accused him of being possessed. This guy's crazy. This guy's possessed. Verse 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work and you all marvel. What do you think the one work is in verse 21 that he's talking about? Think about that for a moment. What's the one thing Jesus did in our study so far, in these first six chapters plus, that really made the people angry? If you've been here the whole time, you might remember it. In John chapter 5, Jesus goes to Bethesda, and there's a man laying there who had been invalid for how many years? Some of y'all remember. 38 years. And Jesus healed that man. Is that so bad? No. But why were they so angry about it? When he did it. When he did it. Which was what? The Sabbath. And so I believe that's the one work in verse 21 he's talking about. I did this one thing and you guys can't let it go. And you, you're accusing me of breaking the, the law with this one thing. And, and over in John 5, 16, it says, For this reason they began to persecute Jesus because he did these things on the Sabbath. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. He says, Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not that it's of Moses, but of the fathers, and you on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Let me try to just break these two verses down. We understand what circumcision is, and we understand that God told them that when a child in Israel was eight days old, he was to be circumcised. And the Bible even tells them that the, the word commanded them that even if it was the eighth day, they are to be circumcised, even if it's the Sabbath day. And so Jesus is saying here, God has given you this command, not of Moses, but of you know, the patriarchs, to do this on the Sabbath, and if you can do this on the Sabbath, if you can do circumcision on the Sabbath, and you can do this thing that God has commanded, how much more okay is it for me to heal someone's infirmity and someone's sickness on the Sabbath? 
Jesus is saying, it's fine. I, the logic is, if you can do one thing that's right, then, then what I'm doing here is also right. And he's calling out their hypocrisy. We know, we know that. I, I also was looking at, I won't read it to you, but Matthew chapter 12, Jesus uh, healed a man's hand on the, on the Sabbath. And, and again, they're just trying to, they were so angry at his Sabbath breaking, or what they thought was Sabbath breaking. So angry. So look at verse 24 which might be the key verse of this whole section. He says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. I think the people are standing there thinking they know it all. And Jesus is saying, you don't know it all. Listen to what I'm saying. You don't know it all. And I think that can apply to us too. When we're not open to saying, I, I can learn, I can grow. My fellow church member might be able to say some things to me to help me understand God's word better. And that's what we do with that as we share. And, you know, I keep talking about our Wednesday night small groups, but that happens back there every week. I'm learning from people in our church, and I hope we're teaching each other. There's nothing more important for us than getting the word right. And a part of getting the word right is not only your personal study, which is important, but it's sharing the word with our fellow church members. I, I think, and I don't know you guys may agree or may not agree, there are more copies of the Bible now than ever before in history. Is that a true statement? Because not only do you have hard copies, but it's on our phones and our tablets and everything. There's more copies, there's more access to the Word of God than ever before. But I would also argue that we are more biblically illiterate than maybe ever before. It's kind of sad, right? How important is that church? That's, that's just a reminder for us to know the truth that, me, that we might, verse 24, judge correctly. So my third point is just verse 24, judge with right judgment. Judge with right judgment. I mean, these people that Jesus is talking to, many of them are all over the place. They're just here and there and not understanding truly what the word is saying. Um, a verse, I want to mention this verse to you, Matthew 7, 1. One of the most misinterpreted verses in Scripture. Matthew 7, 1 says, Judge not, what's it say? That you be not judged. And people like to take Matthew 7, 1 and put it on a t-shirt or put it on Facebook, and they forget all the verses that come after it. And they say this, You can't judge me, only God can judge me. You can't, don't judge me, you can't, the Bible says don't judge me. And the rest of Matthew chapter 7, what it, saw, what it says is we should be judging people by the fruit they bear, right? You can judge a tree by the fruit it bears. And the point of that statement in Matthew 7 is that we should not be hypocritical in our judgment. Our judgment should be true and fair and right. And in John 7, 24, Jesus is saying, as you folks judge me as I teach, you judge my teaching, you need to judge with right judgment and for the most part, many of you are not. 25, 26, and 27. And we're going to stop at 31, if you're wondering. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know, indeed, that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is, 
But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. So now some people are realizing, okay, Jesus, this man is saying some very strong statements, and the rulers aren't standing up to stop him. They're not pulling him off the stage. They're not calling him down right now. And so do the rulers know he actually is the Christ? And so they're, some of them are starting to wonder because of the actions of the, of the leaders. And there's this talk here about they, them knowing him or not knowing him. Well, we already read, I think it's John 6.42. Recently we read that where it says, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? And so many of them did know at least who he was and what family he had even come from. How about in John 7, skip down to verse 41, excuse me, verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Now, I read you that just to show you this. There's just confusion going on. There's confusion. He's teaching boldly the truth. He's saying, I'm the Christ. Here's the truth. You need to judge rightly. And some are like, maybe, he's, maybe he is the Christ. You know, and then others are going, we want to kill him. He's a blasphemer. And so there's such confusion going on. Look at verse 28. Jesus cried out in the temple. And there's emphasis here. And he says, you both know me and you know whence I am. And I am not come of myself but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. What a statement in verse 28. I am come not for myself, he that sent me is true. And he says in verse 28, you don't know him. That's a strong statement. What if I came up to you today and said, you don't know God? Some of you would be, be offended, right? I know God. I was saved. I read my Bible. I pray. I, I have a relationship with God. I know God through the spiritual practice I do. You'd be offended, right? And Jesus looks at these people who are religious people and claim to follow the law, and he says, I'm from God, and you don't even know him. Again, do you see why they, many people hated him? That, to them, was very offensive. What a condemnation they put on them. And, and John 8, look over at John 8, verse 42. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me. What's he implying there? God's not your father. What a condemnation they failed to recognize who jesus was and he says because you failed to recognize who i am you don't know who the father is that leads me to my fourth key point church we need to recognize the authority of jesus christ and the authority of his message we need to recognize it and know it all things matthew eleven twenty seven says have been given to christ by the father and christ said no one knows uh, the, the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son determines to reveal Him. John 8, 55 says, you don't know Him, but I know Him. John 17, 25, He says, Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. 
John 6, 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Repeatedly, Jesus says, I am the Son of God. I have the authority to present to you the truth of who God is. But time and time again, Jesus had to say to the people in truth, you don't know God. And there very well could be people in our lives who think they know God, but who don't truly know God. I think that's 100% true that that happens. That there are people who say, I know God, or I worship a God, but they don't worship the true living God of the Bible. Or, I think these things about God, but it's not our job to worship a God or a vision of Christ. It's our job to worship the Christ of the Bible and the God of the Bible. That's who we're here to worship. That's who we're here to praise. And it's been true, I think, in church history, when there's a high view of who God is, His holiness, His justice, His wrath, His love, His mercy, His kindness, when the church as a whole gets a high view of who God is, that church experiences a revival. They begin to repent of sin, get in the Word, pray, serve. But what we see in the modern church, especially in our country, in the modern church movement, is a low view of God. That he is just my friend, or my pal, or an accessory to my life. But the Jesus we serve is authoritative and deserves our complete worship. After the resurrection, Jesus met with his disciples and he said this, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, so go make disciples. We must recognize the authority of Christ. Verse 30. Then they sought to take him, to arrest him. But no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. Is that familiar to us? Last week, twice Jesus said that. His hour has not yet come. His hour has not yet come. To them, Jesus was a blasphemer. To many of them, he was a blasphemer who deserved death. But in the grand scheme of God's sovereign plan, it was not time for that death. It was still six months away or so. Verse 31, our final verse this morning. But many of the people believed on him. Well, there's some good news. As some were seeking to arrest him and take him out, many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ comes, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? In the midst of such tension here in this crowd, there are the haters, and now we see folks who say they believe in him. What is their premise for belief in that verse? What's mentioned is the miracles. And they're like, well, if somebody else comes and claims to be the Christ, will that person be able to do all the things that this man has done? And so I began to look only in the Gospel of John at times when miracles or signs that Jesus did led to people believing. Let me just read you a few. John 2.11, it says, This beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. 
John 2, 23, Now he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast. Many believed in his name as they observed his signs which he was doing. John 8, 30, As he said these things, many came to believe. John 10, 42, Many there came to believe in him. John eleven forty five. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. John 12, 11, Because on account of him many of the Jews were going away and believing in Christ. John 12, 42, Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him. And this morning you may be sitting here like this crowd, thinking about the word, and I give you my fifth and final key point. And this is for all of us. We need to turn our eyes toward Jesus. And be a part of the group who says, I believe in this Christ. The master teacher in Jerusalem proclaiming the words of truth and life. Many wanted him dead, but some were interested and some believed. And so church, my final application for us is it's obvious that we, we can't come to a church and have Jesus stand up and teach, right? That's not going to happen until he comes back again. But we can't have that. We can't sit at his feet. But how can we hear from Christ? The Word. And so, church, we don't take this lightly. We can't take it lightly. Someone asked me this week, it was just... It was yesterday. Someone asked me yesterday. What's your church like? You know, they were like, I, I thought about going to your church. You know, what's your church like? So first of all, it's going to be a long drive for you. <laughs> so it's going to be a long drive. But what's it like? And I said this. We don't have a lot going on that other churches have going on. But here's, here's the two things I said. I think it's a group of people who care about each other. And I think it's a group of people who care about the word. And they're like, well, that's very interesting. I was like, is it? I think that's biblical. <laughs> I think that's what it should be. But, and I'm not saying that other things are bad. But we, we must continue to remind ourselves that this word is where we stand. Learning it, knowing it, sharing it not only with ourselves, but with our community, with our world. This word is everything to us. This word is worth dying for. And many people have died for it. And most of us will never be persecuted really for it. And we certainly won't have to die for it. But we should certainly be living for it. And living through what it teaches us. Do you have a desire to hear the master teacher through his word and to learn and grow? Let me close with one Old Testament illustration that I hope will help us just think about this. How many of you remember when Samuel was a boy in 1 Samuel chapter 3? Samuel's a boy. He's serving in the temple. There's a high priest there whose name was, anybody know? His name was Eli. And... One night, Eli's, you know, about to lay down for bed. In another place, Samuel, the boy, is laying down, getting ready for bed. And he's laying down. And imagine this. You're about to go to sleep, and you hear, Samuel. And so he's like, oh. So he gets up, and he goes to Eli's room, and he's like, you know, yes, you know, Eli, you, you called me? And he's like, 
I didn't call you. Go back to bed. What are you, what are you talking about? And so Samuel goes back to bed. He lays down. He gets about like he's about to fall asleep again, and he hears it again. Samuel. And he's like, what's this guy, what's this old guy doing? He gets up. He goes to see Eli again. Hey, Eli, you called me? He's like, I didn't call you. Leave me alone. I'm trying to go to sleep. Go back to bed. <laughs> and Samuel goes back, lays down again. It happens again. He goes back. Eli says this. The Bible says, first of all, the Bible says, in those days, words from the Lord were rare. It was a rare thing that God was speaking to people in those days. But in that, after the second time, Eli realized, oh, God must be speaking to him. And here's what he tells him. He says, Samuel, boy, go back to your room and lay down. If you hear that voice again, you should say this, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so he went back and laid down. And the Bible says in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 3 that the Lord actually came and stood nearby and called out, Samuel, Samuel. And the boy, now knowing what to do, said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Every time we open the scriptures, whether I'm preaching or you're reading it at home, every time we open the scriptures, understanding that Christ, the master teacher, is authoritative, and this word is authoritative, may we, like that boy Samuel, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I am listening and ready to obey. Let's pray.